Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. Hope you're all having a great start of December. Yes, one more month until the new decade. I'm so excited and grateful to have you guys all along for the ride. This week's guest is Mr. Larry Yatch. So it's not often that I get to see a podcast guest respond to pressure live. And so I want to give you guys a little bit of backstory on this particular episode. So Larry and I have been trying to schedule this podcast for months. I mean, we've been going back and forth, our teams, we're trying to figure out a date. And so when we finally found one, we weren't going to let that slip. But one thing we didn't foresee during the episode shooting was a constant interruption caused by fire alarm tests. And so every six minutes, we'd have a fire alarm go off and we'd have to pause our conversation and then pick it right back up when it when it ended. What's crazy about this is even in all those distractions, nothing phased Larry. Really, I got to see a man who's the epitome of self-regulation, discipline, and composure. But I guess this reaction, honestly, I don't even know why I was surprised because these are real traits of the man that Larry is. So to, to give you guys a little bit of background on who Larry is, Larry is a Navy SEAL officer who served in the Middle East between 1998 and 2008, which was one of the most high stress periods for the American military. 9-11 happened right in the middle of that. So he's used to showing up in situations where you're genuinely walking the line between life and death. But this specific experience where he served in these high-pressured, high-stress environments taught him how to lead successful teams. And today, Larry shares all of these insights with business leaders in his role as a leadership and behavior change expert for high-performing teams. So with the help of his proprietary leadership and planning system, he helps teams unite behind purpose and get on the same page. It's a role that's seen him work with everyone from Merrill Lynch to Wells Fargo to UBS. And in this powerful episode, you're going to learn a lot of practical tips straight from Larry's experience that's going to allow you to thrive under pressure. You know, I love this episode so much because Larry's got an extremely analytical mind and he's extremely articulate in the way that he can explain some very complex topics for anybody to just access and use, you know, so this episode, you're going to learn all sorts of tips on how do you transform and separate your self-worth from the value you create, um, how you can essentially unlock purpose and get more alignment in life. How do you go about building resilience and grit in a very, very, very practical way? I mean, you know, some people crumble under stress while others thrive. And thanks to Larry's unique background, He's mastered what it takes to show up as your best under the most high-pressured environments imaginable, and he shares all of it on this week's episode. So I know you guys are going to love it, whether you're an entrepreneur or in business or building teams, or you are just somebody who's looking for more clarity on how you can move your life forward in health, wellness, relationships. I think this episode is chocked full with incredible insights that you can take home and apply as you create the life you always love. Now, you may hear a fire alarm here or there somewhere in the background. We did our best to edit them out, but uh, definitely wanted to keep a few in just because really I was so impressed 
with the quality of the conversation and Larry's expertise and his ability to really dance in an environment like that and not really lose his poise. So definitely something that all of us can aspire to learn from and, and practice in our own lives. But that's that. If you haven't already, join the Stay Grounded Facebook community. In the month of December, we're going to be sharing a lot of very, very, very specific tips that can get you ready for 2020. And so come into the Facebook group, go to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded for free trainings and live showings on all things visioning for 2020. And uh, yeah, guys, like I said, I hope you guys, I said this in the last few episodes, but I hope you guys are taking some time to really reflect in December. I always take the months of December really kind of slower just to look back on my year so I can set myself up for a rocket ship going into into January. So take the time, give yourself a pat on the back and enjoy. Enjoy this week's episode with my main man, Mr. Larry Yatch. Cheers. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope everyone listening is just off the charts today. I'm so pumped to be here with my main man, Mr. Larry Yatch. How are you, sir? I'm doing amazing. Amazing. I'm really excited for this. I just, I think your perspectives and the work you do is actually just phenomenal and it's incredibly important and needed. But I think the way you approach it, just based on your military background, just makes you so damn fascinating. So I can't wait to dive in, man. Yeah, I'm excited. I love it. All right, cool. Well, I already introed you and gave a little spiel about your background and what you've done. But I'd love to start with, I guess, your your military career and the transition. Well, how do you think your military skills have allowed you to build and seize and do some of the work you're doing now? Like, it doesn't seem like it's as correlatable. Like, I served in the military, and then now you're helping really plug holes in organizations and, and influence change. Like, what are the correlatable traits that make major military experience such an important part of the work you do now? I had a very unique military experience. So being an officer in the teams, in the SEAL teams, and especially in the time that I was active, so from 98 to 2008, a very busy time, and my team was responsible for the Middle East. So I got the opportunity to work in one of the highest performing organizations in the world during a time where we were doing what we were designed to do as SEALs. And that's very unique, being able to really embody the ethos that comes with being a SEAL, but more importantly, having to do it in environments that were extremely high stress and high risk. And that's one of the interesting aspects when I go to and speak to business owners, a concept of we all live in a world of competition. And especially as an entrepreneur, you, you always have competition. In my world, my competition tried to kill me. And I don't mean like figuratively, literally their job was to kill me. And that concept of if your performance wasn't at the highest level individually, if your performance as, as a team wasn't completely coordinated, the consequences were real and present. I mean, it wasn't missing a quarterly report or you know, a certain revenue goal or a sales goal. It was someone didn't go home to their family. And being an officer, I was responsible for that. Right? It wasn't just being a part of that team. It was my choices, my, my planning, my actions directly impacted you know, some of the, my best friends in the world that I was ultimately responsible for. So a very unique environment to be in. That's, that's what's fascinating to me. You said this, the organizations you work with, that life or death mentality, how do you sort of relay that over, like the importance of it, right? Like, I mean, I see how you could totally take this like, 
I go into work, like I have to be my best or I die. Like, does that translate? Like, is that, is that stuff you teach to organizations? Like, how do you even make something like a quarterly report have that level of gravity? So I'm going to answer that on two levels. One on, on a, an interesting observation point that I've had with working with lots of different organizations, lots of groups and organizations. And then I'm going to answer directly as to, okay, here's a technique or, you know, an actual fundamental principle you can leverage for that. So on the general level, what I found is when I asked that question, is your competition trying to kill you? And say it's a room of 100 people in an organization, right? The whole organization. Uh, do you think anyone raises their hand saying yes? No. Uh, there is a group that always raises their hand. The really? same group. Any idea who it would be? No, actually. This is really interesting. The high-performing sales reps. Ah. Every time. The, not the whole sales department, but the high-performing sales reps immediately are like, yes, my competition is trying to kill me, trying to steal my clients, steal my market share, which steals my money. If I don't have money, I'm going to suffer and die. Mm-hmm. And who, who are the highest perform, let, producing, let's say, people in an in organization are the highest performing sales reps? Why? Because they connect. Yes, I, I die, right, if I don't win. Mm. And so it's really interesting to see. Like, it's off, mm. sometimes the CEO, like sometimes the CEO, but almost always the high performing sales reps. And so that's one side, just interesting observation of what a mindset can provide when it comes to motivation and the ability to persevere, have responsibility, all that stuff. So that's the first half, interesting observation. Second half is, okay, how do you bring that in? When it comes to that drive to perform at such a high level becomes a a requirement based on the fact that I have a really strong purpose to live. Say you had a, a SEAL team that was suicidal, like they were depressed and suicidal, they didn't want to live. How do you think they'd perform in a life and death situation? They wouldn't. They wouldn't, right? What gives us, you know, what drives us? And what's interesting is a SEAL team, what drives us is not what you would think. My concern for my life is not the primary driver. My concern for the lives of my team members is my primary driver, which is even stronger than my own desire to live. So that purpose of protecting the SEAL standing next to me is so strong. It's not that there's risk. It's the fact that my connection to that purpose is so strong. And that's the golden nugget, right? The golden nugget isn't, well, don't, you don't need risk in an environment to be driven to that level of performance. You need to have an absolutely rock solid connection to purpose. And if you do that, then you can have the same performance in a regular organization. Why do you think your purpose was stronger when it when it meant taking care of someone else than it did taking care of yourself. Cause if you think about it, like our subconscious mind just wants us to be alive. You can't tell. I mean, we're on a video call, so I'm grinning here. Cause you just asked one of my favorite questions in the world <laughs> that rarely people ask. So, you know, thank you for asking this. This really roots to the foundation of what, why we do what we do and why we're so effective at it. I got to bring you way back into history. So do you have any idea how long we've been on this planet as human beings 60,000 years maybe 200, 200. so 200,000 years okay so we've been cave people for 200,000 years i qualify a cave person as someone that does not have ready access to resources and whose life is generally at risk most of the time that they leave their cave right so if you use that as a determiner cuz we are 
genetically exactly the same as a human from 195,000 years ago, right? We're the exact same. What's the difference? Our environment's different. We now have unlimited access to resources and our life is generally not at risk on a daily basis. And that's only been true for a couple hundred years, maybe 50 years. For some people, it's still not true. So ultimately, we're just cave people with really nice clothes and really nice toys. So when we start thinking about the way we act from the perspective of the cave person, we get a lot of clarity into what really drives us. I'm going to pause there just to say, you know, how's that landing on you? It's landing uh, really interesting. I'm, I'm thinking like ancestrally, I mean, even, even like right now, I was talking to a friend of mine about fruit, right? Like we're not supposed to eat a lot of fruit. And yeah. if you think about ancestrally going back, the reason why we gorge on fruit is because if you saw a plum tree just randomly walking across, you don't know the next time you're ever going to see that plum tree. So you eat like 20 of them, but ready access to fruit today is not actually our bodies aren't designed to process that much fruit. Yeah. They're not right. But it's still the same caveman mindset, whatever you had before. It's just naturally part of you, even in this day and age. So the concept of gorging, yeah, or yeah, right? that's, like, yeah. why do we gorge? Because we, we killed a buffalo or we killed a, a mammoth. mammoth. Yep. Like we eat as much as we possibly can because we know we're going to now have to go a long time. That's why these diets that are high fat diets with intermittent fasting, where we don't have corn and grains and potatoes and starches, uh, all those things, starches, because those didn't exist yep. for 195,000 years, 197,000 years, right? However long. And so going back to the original question of why is the driver, the purpose of keeping my teammate alive stronger than my driver purpose, keeping myself alive, roots into the thing, the most important thing to a cave person. What do you think the absolute most important thing to a cave person's survival is? Teamwork, maybe? Team. Yeah. 100%, right? The tribe. Yeah. If I wasn't part of the tribe, I knew I would suffer and die within days. My ability to survive depends on my ability to coordinate action with others, to be on a team. The stronger my position on the team, the more success and safety I have in my life. Mm. That, that was ingrained to us at our deepest level to every cell of our body, every neuron in our brain is that being on a team and being an integral part of that team is our only way to survival, much less strength. Right. My own personal safety isn't as important as the safety of the team, because if the team suffers and dies and I survive, I'm still dead. And this is I like to pause here because this is critical and I can prove it. Have you ever had your heart broken? Yes. Okay. what did that feel like? Felt like I was going to die. Literally in the moment. So look at this. Yeah. I, I mean, you couldn't have answered it better. Right. Just because you got kicked off the team, your mentality, your physiology reacted as if you're going to die. And so we are ingrained, right? It is ingrained. And that's why I truly 100% believe to the core of my being that our ability to coordinate action with others determines our success in life. That's our happiness. And that's such a, and what is for me, what is success in life? My day, a sustainable, positive daily experience, right? If I have a sustainable, positive daily experience, I have success. And what is that? That's going to be that I have the resources I need. I have the team and support around me that I need. And I'm an integral part of that team, right? If you have those things, you're happy. And anywhere you have strife, struggle, or conflict in your life, it's because you have discord with those around you. 
I think it's or yourself. I think it's brilliant that purpose. And when you really go back to the underlying premise of this, right, the purpose, right, like when purpose is rooted in in those three fundamental facts, it demystifies it too. Because I feel like purpose oh, is one really. of those like it's a very like wow wow woo woo kind of like oh find your purpose in life and it is real. But like when you break it down to it, purpose is nothing but how you show up, who you show up with, and how you feel about yourself. And it's like when you break it down to that fundamental core, it makes it so accessible. My formula for purpose, first, what is it? Per, for me, language is critical for me and precision in language. Because, again, if we just go to these core concepts, our ability to coordinate action with others determines our success in life. We agree that that's true. Our most effective tool for coordination of action with others is language. So therefore, the better I am with language, the better I am going to be at coordinating action, the more success I have. Yeah. Like That to me is just straight fact. So therefore, I'm extremely precise with my language. And I believe that effective distinctions are the most powerful thing that we can possibly have. So if those three things are fundamentally sound, then language is critical. So when we say purpose, until we share a, a distinction on it, we can't coordinate action on it. For me, purpose is that which drives a specific end. Mm, it's intention, right? It's, it's ritual, it's intention, it's meaning, it's, 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 that, it's that application. It's all sorts of stuff, right? There's any number of things that can drive a specific end, but all the things that summarize into being the driving force to some specific end state is purpose. And for me, the recipe for purpose is three steps, right? You have the bigger purpose, that which drives the, big, the, the end for the team or the group. Mm -hmm. And what, what brings a team or group together? Purpose, right? Shared purpose. We want to create this, a similar or shared future. You have individual purpose. So how does my end, my particular end, feed into the bigger end? What worth does the group see in my purpose? And what value can I produce by my action? If I take actions that have value towards the purpose of the group. Those actions are assessed by the group as having worth. My purpose aligns with the purpose of the team. I get to be part of the team. It's interesting that you, when you break it down to that, there's a level of needing to be seen and acknowledged for the value you provide. Because it doesn't matter, right? How many times have you provided value for someone that they either have assessed as not having worth or they weren't aware of, and it's useless? Because our perception is our reality. I mean, a lot of people, I think, struggle with that. Like either whether yep. seeing it's their, seeing their own worth or being, or even having the courage or the confidence to acknowledge someone else's worth. Like that's always a barrier. So like, how do you, I guess, even get comfortable to the place where you're either seeing your own worth uh, and connecting that to purpose or being somebody who's comfortable showing other people their worth? Like, how do you even start those conversations? To me, this, this, is there going to be, again, most of these distinctions, I haven't used nothing but simple language, but they're extremely elegant. I've, I've taken 15 years refining these things. So this one is, again, going to be some simple, really easy words that could seem really simple, but it's, it's unbelievably important to, to hear. There's a difference in my world. There's a difference between worth and value. And this is really important. My worth as a human being is different than the value I create in a situation. Most people don't have a separation between the two. So they assess their self-worth based on the value they create in an environment. If you do that, you give the world control of your self-worth. 
because the world gets to determine if you have produced value. And therefore, that determines if you find yourself having self-worth or not. And that, that's where most people go wrong. And you can see, like, if I buy a sports car and drive it around so people can recognize that I have made a lot of money, I'm letting the world determine based on the value of creating a situation if I feel good about myself or not. And that never works. So we have to separate those two. And what I do to build self-worth is different than what I do to build value. And if I'm in a situation where I don't represent value, that's okay. Right? That's not a bad thing. I, that doesn't mean I have less worth as a human being or my self-worth should be lower. That's a really, really, really interesting slope to go down though, man. Like the bottomless pit of how much love you need is, is there and it's real and it's a vacuum in a lot of places. So if we don't separate our worth, our self-worth and our worth as a human being from our value, the value we create in a situation, we will be a bottomless pit of needing love. Yeah. That's where people get stuck. And then being able to identify, well, how do we increase our value in a given situation? Well, that's our ability to coordinate action with others, to team, to have effective language, right? That's very structural. How do we increase our self-worth? And this is what most people have no clue how to do it. That's why they tie it to the value that they, they can create. I believe, and I found this to be, to be true, that our self-worth comes through integrity. And integrity is having deeply held beliefs, so values, understanding what my values are, not the value I create, but my values, my deeply held beliefs are. And when I take actions in accordance with my values, my self-worth goes up. If I have deeply held beliefs and I take actions in discord to that, my self-worth goes down. Now, simple example is, say I prize one of my deeply held beliefs is honesty. Right? That being honest is, is an important thing. It's something that I hold as very, very important. When I lie, I feel bad about mm, myself. Yeah. When I tell a hard truth in a difficult situation, I feel good about myself. That's how we increase or decrease our self-worth. And notice it has nothing to do with, am I valuable in a given situation? It's, it's alignment with who you want to be. The truth, right? Knowing your truth and acting in accordance with it to, to bring it into the world. Because when we don't, and I, I don't know if you're a religious person, I am not a particularly religious person, but I was raised 12 years of Catholic education. The one thing I do remember was God made us in his image. And so when I started thinking about that, thinking around the, the point is that if when we are our most true, right, we're the most godlike or acting in that way that we feel good. And when we are not, when we turn away from that truth, right, and act outside of it, we don't feel good. And then there's things like sinning or all the other terms that people use associated to that. It's like, wow, there's some fundamentally valid principles now that you can apply into this. And the biggest piece is separating, I can go into a situation and not be valuable, and I can still feel good about myself as long as I act in accordance with my deeply held beliefs. So going back to your original question is how do we create that feeling? Well, we, we have to create that ability to, to share my purpose and to explore others and support them and others. How do we do that? Well, I need to separate the value that I represent in that situation from my worth that I am as a human and my self-worth. That's the first step. Understanding that if someone doesn't see me as having value, that doesn't mean I'm less of a person. Mm. You know, that's a, a core piece. And tying it right back to the first question you asked is, 
why was there more purpose and strength in protecting my teammate and making sure that he was alive to go home to his family than mine? Because it ties back to what we talked about originally with that being part of the tribe is most important. If I keep him alive, I cement my place on the team. You know, it's fascinating. When you say that, you know, God created man in his image, it's almost like we are the gods we've been looking for. Well, and that's where I go. Like, I know (laughs) it's funny whenever I say this, I like flinch because I think of the nun hitting me with a ruler, (laughs) like from my hardcore Catholic school upbringing. But where I then I take that to the next level of saying, then that means that we are, we are God. Right. And when we act in accordance with our truth, we are acting godlike, right? Or heroic as yeah. a god, heroic, full, true, like you use all sorts of words you can use. And when we don't, when we turn away from that, we aren't. Right. And that's where the, the darkness comes. The aspirational message behind that is powerful. Right. I like, I mean, so. if you can prescribe to that belief that you are who you've always been looking for that you have that, that even if you don't have what you want in your life, which is a result of you creating value. That's where I get like, we, we are exactly where we want to be a hundred percent of the time. Like I believe that because we have complete free will, right? So you have at any point in time, you have the ability to change it on top of the fact that since I control my perception, I control my reality. So simply by changing my mind, I can change my reality. So that means every time that I look and say, well, I don't want this in my life. Then why do I keep bringing it here? Why do I keep choosing it? Because I can choose something else. When you start to look at your life and examine where am I not living in choice, that becomes a very fun game to play. Yeah, where am I living my life in reaction? Because when I live, this goes back to purpose. If I live my life in reaction, I'm giving the world control of my purpose. Therefore, I can't feel fulfillment because I give it up. You know, the world gets to tell me what I have, what I need to do or have to do. No purpose, no value on a team, no value on a team. I'm going to suffer and die. Like it's the same line every single time. I think people are scared to take, to live with that truth because if you're taking ownership, if you take responsibility for the fact that you can create something great in your life, then you also have to take responsibility for the fact that if you don't have what you want right now, you probably did it. You did it. You did, you're choosing it. It's, in, it's really, really, really easy to stay naive and not have those tough conversations and not really wake up to purpose. Maybe that's why people don't naturally live purpose-driven lives, because if they choose to live a purpose-driven life, then they have to take ownership for everything that's happened already. Yeah, playing fantasy football is easier. <laughs> I mean, it is. Yeah. Like, I, I, it blows my mind that someone would take time to play a made-up game about a game that they don't even play. Like, to me, it's the ultimate, sorry, if you play fantasy football or whoever's listening. I'm in like four leagues. So, yeah, yeah I'd, sorry. I'd, I'd love it, though. It's But yeah. no, it's, you're making a really, really, really important oh part. Like, oh, my goodness. Like, now, if you're saying that's my entertainment and that that's where I find joy, excitement or whatever, fine. But if you're not if you're not where you want to be, do you have time for that entertainment? You know, that's where I I get to, you know. It, it hits me like it's my responsibility. Oh, I don't have any time. I, I don't, I don't have what I want. I don't, I'm not where I want. I don't have the business I want or the money or the relationship or all that stuff. And yet you drink beer and watch football. Like, okay, you getting exactly what you want. And there's, you could choose to do something else. How can somebody sort of change the mindset to be more 
comfortable taking ownership. I think I think that's a big thing, like whether it's the courage or really having the conversations with fear, or building yeah. a relationship, like how can people actually change if they haven't been already? I love this answer. You know, some people may not. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is taking action despite fear. Yeah. Therefore, without fear, you can't have courage. So that alone is worth listening to this whole podcast. We don't have the opportunity to be courageous unless we have fear. So fear is a gift. It's a gift that either keeps us safe or it's a gift that shows us and gives us the power to, to change in our life. So I love being scared, right? That's, it's one of the best things that, that we can have. Fear always comes from a perceived lack of control. It doesn't matter if that fear is real and necessary or unnecessary. We have some perception that we don't control something. And back when we were cave people, everything we didn't control could kill us. Mm. So we currently, we don't know the difference between not having control of a conversation or say getting in on, a, in on a stage to talk to someone or if someone points a gun at us, right? Our body and minds react physiologically the same way. So no matter what fear you feel is from a perceived lack of control. And therefore, how do we get a perception of control? We develop power to influence change. So when we have power to influence change, we can exert control on our environment. We feel less fear and are able to take action, which is showing courage. How do we develop power? We learn, right? As a human being, our ability to develop power in any, any place in our life comes from learning. That's why ultimately I went from being a seal at the cutting edge, the tip of the spear protecting our country. And I then chose to build training companies because I know that I can have more impact with individuals by being able to teach them how to develop power, to take action despite fear, to exert control in their life, to fulfill their purpose is going to have a bigger impact than going overseas and fighting. Yeah. That's a really, uh, thank you for your service, by the way. That's, and that's a really responsible decision. I think it's interesting learning. I think that's why, you know, like I've always thought that by just throwing yourself in as many different situations as possible, you naturally increase your ability to do anything better. Almost like doing things you're terrified of or doing things you're uncomfortable doing or putting yourself in those situations is like mental pushups for you to do better at your job or to be a better leader or it's like, it's, it's the fact like you're the common denominator in all the things you do, whether it's your family or your health or good or bad, good right? Or bad. Like, I love it. Like everyone's an idiot in my organization. Like my boss is an idiot and the people that works for me is an idiot. And my coworkers is an idiot. Wait a minute. You know, what's the common denominator of all these idiots? You, yeah, right? Like <laughs> it is this, that centerpiece. And what you say about mental pushups is, is literally true. So physiologically true. One of the, the questions that, I'm a very analytical person, as the audience can probably tell by the way I break things down. One of the things that really bothered my analytical mind going through SEAL training is those that I would have bet my bottom dollar on completing quit and those that I would have bet my bottom dollar on not finishing, right? Quitting, completed. And so there's this huge disconnect between my perception of the capability of someone and their actual ability. And so I knew it wasn't what you thought, right? It wasn't physical strength or intelligence or maturity or all these different things that you would have pointed at by saying, yeah, that's, that's what it takes. And one of the things that was common was that everyone that made it through training 
they had something wrong in their head. Like you got to not be right. And ultimately like it's, I kind of gloss over that. It's funny, but it's true of you can't be quite right in the head and be a seal. And one of the common threads around not being quite right was there had to have been something in their background that messed them up. And it could have been like, for me, it was bullying through middle school, high school as a little tiny skinny kid, a dorky kid that grew up in the city and then just got picked on all the time. For others, it might've been growing up on a farm where they had to get up every morning before school. For others, it might've been a drunken dad. For others, it might've been a split household. I mean, there's always this big thing. And it was almost 10 years later after reading a book called Iron War, uh, which was about two, the two greatest tra- Ironman lecture athletes that I understood the neuroscience behind, or at least pieced, the, pieced it together, that the same two parts of our brain control all self-regulation, mental, physical, and emotional. And the density of our neural connections in those parts of our brain determine if we can self-regulate or not. And the way that we create neural connections is through practicing. So what you're talking about is that push-ups for your brain, your exercise. Like when you go through and self-regulate physically or mentally or emotionally, I think of it like putting a couple dollars in the self-regulation piggy bank. Mm. The more reps I have of that, the more money I have to pull out when I need it. So for my example of being picked on, every time that I was picked on and I didn't start a fight, I didn't cry, I didn't blow up, I put a, I put a dollar in the bank. By the time I got to SEAL training 18 years later, getting picked on was easy, right? Like that's what BUDS is. The instructor's picking on you. They, they're just really good at it. Since the same part of the brain controls all self-regulation, just because I was able to emotionally self-regulate really well, as soon as I had a purpose to physically self-regulate, to, to do more push-ups to run longer, it was easy. And the same thing with business now that I need to mentally self-regulate and really concentrate and focus, I can pull out of the bank because I built a big... It's either a, how big is your bank and how much money do you have in it, right? Practice expands the bank. And then making sure I take care of myself where I don't use my self-regulation for, for things that I don't need to, like being in a bad relationship where I'm always fighting with my, my spouse or my, my girlfriend, it's going to be hard to concentrate. It's going to be hard to go to the gym, right? Taking care of myself, making sure I have sleep and I eat well and I take time to clear my mind. Those things give me the ability not to t- take dollars out when I need it for something else. And so that concept of, of mental practice you're saying is, is physiologically true. What's interesting to me is when you say that, you know, you being picked on made you better and or more resilient in a different way. I think everybody has some sort of trauma or something from their past that maybe they're not as grateful for things that just didn't help them create, you know, like it's hard to see the connection, like that experience made me who I am. So like, if everybody has experiences of pain and struggle and things in their lives in some way, right, may not be the same story as you, but there's a different version, a different perspective, a different lens that caused some sort of trauma or pain. Why do you think that certain people just are better or, or they're able to go through training like that than others? Like if everybody has a certain level of pain in their past, shouldn't we all be capable of, of doing what we want to do and how we want to do it? Yeah. So it's not about having pain in your life. It's about what you did around the pain. For me, the first say year and a half of school I was getting picked on, I wasn't self-regulating. So I was having the trauma being picked on, but because I wasn't regulating emotionally and physically, 
I wasn't building my bank up or putting money in it. It wasn't until they were about to to kick me out of school. I went to a behavior psychologist in third grade, second grade, and she taught me that reacting to the bullies was what they wanted. And even though I couldn't beat them up because I was too small and weak, if I didn't react to them, if I didn't cry or yell or try to fight, I won and they lost. And so I went from reacting every day to the next day I didn't react. I had the longest temper. They couldn't get a reaction out of me. That's when I started building. So if, if you're in trouble or struggle and strife, but you're giving up and you live in that depression, you live in, oh, it all happens to me, you stay in that, well, then you're not practicing self-regulation. So it isn't about having the trauma. It's what you do with it. It's the same thing of if, say, you, ha- you have a dad that drinks and he yells and screams. If, if you don't regulate, you know, personally regulate your reaction to that, then that's not building, building it up. For those that live in it and are a victim of it, well, there you go. You're a victim and you're not building up. How can individuals, or how can anybody listening, even myself selfishly asking, build self-regulation faster? Like, what are things you can do to sort of build that bank account up, like the quickest or the fastest, or what's going to add the most value into that bank account? So two questions. One question is, how do I build it? And the second is, how do I build it fast? So how you build it is you have to you have to self-regulate and there's small, easy ways to do it. I look at it as there's opportunities for me to put a quarter in, to put a dollar in or put a hundred dollar bill in. So an example of a quarter is uh, say that I want a beer, right? It's been a long day. I want a beer. I go to the fridge and before I a quarter, the littlest little thing is I get the beer out before I take the first sip. I pause for a second and I choose, I make a conscious choice to drink the beer, right? That's a quarter. Mm. As opposed to what I normally do is go crack the top, drink a beer, right? I'm not choosing to do it. So the easiest little tiny piece is just to make a choice to do the thing. So if I want to put a dollar in, what do I do? Sometimes I go, I get the beer, I crack it, I make a choice to drink it, and I wait for 15 seconds and then I drink it. Oh, I just put a dollar in. Sometimes I go, I get the beer and I choose not to drink it. Oh, I just put five bucks in. Sometimes I run an Ironman triathlon. I just put a hundred dollars in, right? So you could see how every time that you make a conscious choice to be proactive in your life, to do something mentally, physically, or emotionally that you don't want to do, you're putting money in the bank. All you have to do is be aware of it. We have infinite opportunities to put quarters in the bank. Right, simply by by making the choice as opposed to reacting. Mm, dude, that's so practical, and it's so easy. Yes, and like for for the people that are out there dieting, where where do we go wrong all the time? Like people go into a diet, and all of a sudden they go from no self regulation, eating whatever crap they want, which we are then chemically addicted to, right? It's sugar and all that stuff, and then they decide I'm not going to eat anything. They have no money in the bank, and they got a tiny little piggy bank, and guess what? It lasts for two weeks, and then they get worse. My suggestion to them is no. Okay, let's build a bank. So for the next, you get home, you're all stressed, you want to eat, line up all the food you want to eat and then go to it. And when you go to the the chips, like grab the chips, decide, take a breath and decide, I'm going to eat chips, eat the chips and then reward yourself. Good job. Like I just exercised some self-regulation because I chose to do it. Then go to the next thing. I'm going to choose to eat M&Ms. 
eat your M&Ms, reward yourself. Good job. You just did some self-regulation. You chose to eat the M&Ms. Eventually, you're going to choose not to eat the cupcake because you just ate all the other stuff. I get to really reward myself. Good job. I that. Do that for a week. Just practice for a week, making choices to eat what you want to eat. That alone will change what you consume because you'll eventually, not even eventually, the first time you do it, you'll eat a little bit less because yeah. you'll choose not to eventually because <laughs> the need's passed. Do that for a couple of weeks and then start doing a pause. Go to the chips. I'm going to eat the chips. I'm going to count to 10. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Eat the chips. Good job. I just waited for 10 seconds. You're going to eat even less. Then go and choose to eat the chips, the M&Ms, and choose not to eat the cookie, and then choose to eat the next thing. I just did a little bit more. You know, one thing I'm becoming, it's becoming abundantly clear is the lifestyle of being somebody who makes choices is really the fundamental key in creating a purpose-driven, fulfilling, awesome life. Like if you want change, if you want anything, really, it just comes down to you consciously deciding, even in the smallest of ways, consistently over time. And that is something anybody can do, whether you are on a diet or not, whether you are trying to be an entrepreneur or not, whether you just exist. If you exist, this is something you can do. Oh, it's am I reactive or am I proactive? Yep. That why in the road is if I'm reactive, my life will always suck. The reason my life will always suck is when I react to the world, I have no purpose. Mm. I could make a million dollars. If I have no purpose, I will not feel fulfilled. If I choose the why in the road where I am being proactive, I can have no money and I can feel unbelievable fulfillment because I have a purpose and I've taken action towards that purpose and I will feel good. And this goes right back to coordination of action with others. When it, when we have when you have a strong purpose, you will find others that share that purpose and they want you on their team. We get to live a good life. When we have no purpose and we react, no one wants on the team. Yeah. And so we go right back to purpose, team, and ultimately our our safety and our survival. So great, dude. And those with the strongest purpose that they can create their purpose is so strong that others take it on as theirs. They have unbelievable success because they attract strongly motivated people that want to be with them. They coordinate action with well with others, success in life. I hate and I love it. Like so damn <laughs> yeah. simple. It's not easy, but it's and simple. Damn it. It's so damn simple. It's, it's yeah. simple, but it's, man, that's, this is beautiful. That's why we do what we do. What we do is, as you can tell by the way I approach things, it's super systematic. So systematically we teach leaders how to identify and have purpose yeah. and give that clarity that passion to others so that they can coordinate action better with totally. others and when we do that well we you know ultimately what do we do we give you formulas for success at the most fundamental level uh, all the way down to software to to design high functioning teams i mean it's cool for me because it doesn't matter if i'm teaching in a personal sense a family sense or a business sense it's the same stuff mm -hmm. And to be able to have people be attracted for the business benefits, to watch the personal and family benefits they get, because it's the same things. You know, your coordination of action with your family, your spouse is no different than your coordination of action with your CEO or your CFO. And so when you get to the absolute fundamentals of it, like we've talked about today, right? They apply with our three-year-old, with my wife or with my team. Yeah. I love what you're up to. Anybody who wants to reach out to Larry and get involved with his work in any capacity, we'll make all the links available in the show notes. 
Larry, dude, this has been a pleasure, man. I really appreciated this conversation. I got one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're working on, everything you've done and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? I've never had someone ask me that question. And what came to my mind is, is it's interesting and kind of, a, you know, I guess, ironic or not, but I have to say it's my team that keeps me grounded beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm lucky enough to, to work with my, my wife and you know, she, not only are we business partners, but she saved me from, you know, it wasn't my choice to stop being a SEAL. I was, I was severely injured and, and my, my dream, my purpose was taken away from me in that hospital bed. And she was the one that, that showed me this route and she's been with me the whole time. And so between her and the, the team that we've so carefully built, they're the ones that, that keep me grounded. Otherwise I would I can cause a lot of a destruction uh, in my efforts to to make big changes in this world. So, uh, yeah, it's right back to where we started with the, the team. Beautiful, man. Well, I, like I said, I, I really appreciated this conversation and, and just the way it, it sort of evolved. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. And I have to say, by, without a shadow of a doubt, this is been the most frustrating and enjoyable <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Talk about opposite ends of the spectrum. It'll probably not show up in post editing, but we've placed some recording out. They're testing their fire alarm. So we've had fire alarm signals go off every five minutes for this entire hour. So this podcast has been beyond a shadow of a doubt, one of the most frustrating and ultimately one of the best I've been on. Just loved the way you questioned and guide it was amazing. So really, really enjoyed talking to you. You got you were able to allow me to get into things that I don't often get to talk about that I absolutely love talking about. So thank you for that. Oh, I appreciate that, brother. Uh, and just so excited for all the things. And you're, I'm excited to, I'm excited we're friends because I think I we agree. have a lot more shit to discuss. Um, but I'm everybody. Everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Larry. And from us, Stay Grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.